So there's a guy that takes over a company, a corporation, he's going to clean house. He knows that there's a lot of waste, a lot of people standing around not really working for their money. So he kind of goes to the roster and like fires some people who he thinks are the lazy people, the people who aren't working, the people who are just collecting a check. So he's feeling pretty good about that. And he's walking through the lobby and he sees a, a teenage kid just kind of leaning on the counter, not doing anything. Thinking he can't believe it. He becomes angry. This kid's just standing around collecting a check, not doing anything. And he watches him for a while and the kid doesn't move at all. So he knows he's got another one. So he walks up to the young man and says, young man, how much do you earn a week? And the guy says, Oh, about 300 bucks. So the new boss walks away and comes back with a check and hands it to him. He says, here's $1,200, a month worth of salary. Leave this place and never come back. And the, the guy leaves. And the boss is kind of enraged and kind of outside of himself, so full of um, emotion. He, he needs to kind of clarify his brain. So he looks at one of his subordinates and he says, well, what in the world just happened here? And the subordinate says, you just tipped the pizza guy $1,200. <laughs> <laughs> So today we're talking about being uh, generous with our money. We're in the red letter challenge. Thank you for following along. You're at home reading the book. If you fall behind a day, like we said, don't worry. Just pick up where on the day you're supposed to be in. Um, thank you for understanding that the red letter challenge means that there are some Bibles that have Jesus' words literally printed with red ink. So they're the red letters or the red words of Jesus, and we've been focusing on those. And today we're talking about Jesus um, speaking to us that we ought to be people who give. We ought to be generous people. There's many ways to talk about being generous. We could talk about being generous with our talent, using the ways we're gifted for other people. That's good. And our time, too, we can use that, too. But specifically, the guy who wrote this curriculum, Pastor Zach Zender, is talking about money. money. So we'll talk about being generous with our resources, with our money, too. I love the way pa uh, Pastor Laura, the way Laura said, um, you know, does your, do you have money or does money have you? That's a great place to start. That's a great place to start. Let me read from 2 Corinthians. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, starting in, um, in the ninth chapter. Uh, listen to the words. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. May it please God that we would be blessed by the reading of his word this morning. Let's join together in prayer. Father, a good place to start this morning on this message particularly is probably to remind ourselves that all the stuff we have isn't really ours anyway, it's yours. My dollar bills in my wallet are not really mine, they're yours. The, the number next to my name on the savings account really isn't my number, it's yours. Um, you don't want us, um, you don't want our money, you don't need our money, you want our hearts, and what we do with money is a good indicator of where our hearts are. So speak to us clearly this morning, open our ears to hear, soften our hearts to receive, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer, and we pray this for Christ's sake and in his name, and together we all say, 
Amen. Uh, the first place to jump off from this morning is that God wants to remove all barriers between himself and his people, and he knows that money's a big one. Money can be a barrier between us and God. When we rely on money for joy, for security, for our all in all, we're not relying on God for that stuff, and that's what he wants. He wants us to rely on him. So he's asking us to cooperate with him and remove those barriers. So this teaching uh, on money really doesn't have that much to do with money. As I just said, it really has to do with the condition of the heart. And the way we treat our resources, the things that God has handed us to manage, really reflects on where our heart is. The way we manage our money can tell God if we belong to him or not. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. God is saying, I don't want there to be any barriers between me and you, just me and you in beautiful, loving community together. Deuteronomy 6, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, just God. Don't serve money, don't serve other things serve God only. So usually in a message like this, you wait till you're a little bit in before you kind of start hitting hard. But Pastor Zender and his uh, communications in this area kind of hits hard right from the beginning, so, so maybe we will too. If you're uncomfortable with this message this morning, if you came for Mother's Day and you can't believe it's a sermon on money and it makes you mad, consider this. Maybe money has become an idol to you. See, you don't mind when we stand up here and talk about the way, we, the way we raise our kids or a message on prayer or the fact that we ought to be kind to people or shouldn't steal or honor our father and mother. And, and all these things are great until the guy in the front starts talking about money and then that makes you uncomfortable. If that's the case, Pastor Zach Zender says, and I think I echo it, check your heart. Maybe money is more important to you than it really should be. There's a Christian website called Faith Works Financial that helps Christians with their finances, and they had a recent post that said, three signs that money has become your idol. Three, three ways you can know that money has become your idol. And the first is that you think about money all the time. It really has you. It's what life is really about, getting more, getting that certain number, working harder. If I could you know, arrange for this to happen, we could have more dough, more stuff, that you think about this stuff all the time. Secondly, how about this one, that you live beyond your means, you spend more than you make. You're in debt. Some people say it this way. You spend money you don't have to get stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like. So you, you go into debt. Maybe money has become an idol for you. And this third one, we'll spend a little bit of time on this one. You have a destination mindset. You have a destination mindset. Let me explain that. You have thoughts like, well, if we could just hit this number, then I'll be happy. If we could just fund this line on our budget to this point, we'll be okay. Um, and these kinds of things. And the Bible does talk about investing and being careful and being patient and being calm, but that's not where we get our peace from. That's not where we get our joy from. That's not where we get our fulfillment from. That's not where we um, have our assurance, a destination mindset. The, the website goes on to say that if you have this destination kind of thinking, in other words, if I just get to that number, you're in trouble because the reality is if your joy rests on achieving a particular financial goal, you'll be disappointed every time. If your joy rests on reaching a particular financial goal, you'll be disappointed every time because you think that money or things or possessions will bring you joy, and they cannot. Only God is the giver of joy, and that's why he wants to remove barriers between himself and us so we can have that joy, so we can have that fullness of life, so we can have that vision, so there can be light in our life. Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a perfect barometer. Where your treasure is, the things you treasure, if you treasure money, that's what you've given your heart to. If you treasure Jesus, if you treasure God, that's what you've given your heart to. 
And isn't it just like God our Father to be the one to remove the biggest barrier of all, the sin barrier that's between us and him? That Jesus would come and rescue us out of the wretchedness that we find ourselves in. And there would be a substitution at the cross, right? I should have been up there. You should have been up there for your sin. But God takes us down from there and put Jesus up instead. And he suffers the wrath of the Father and the punishment owed to us and dies in our place. And now the barrier between us and God has been removed and we have fullness of joy and redemption and a new life and a clear mind and a path to walk on. God removes the biggest barrier between him and us and he did it by giving. He gave us Jesus. And he's calling us to be generous the way that he is generous. So how should we give? Number two, give with a joyful heart. Give with a joyful heart. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart Decide what you want to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give out of compulsion like this is something I'm supposed to do because this is what Christians do. Do it with a cheerful heart. God doesn't want grumpy givers. Remember, he isn't interested or even in need of our money. He invented gold. He can make it. He knows that money is an indicator of where our heart is. And when you're giving grumpy, maybe it's even a very large sum, but if you're giving with a grumpy attitude... He knows he doesn't have your affection. Christian author Randy Elkhorn says this, here's the difference between a reluctant and a cheerful giver. A reluctant giver gives as if they're spending and getting nothing in return, but a joyful giver gives as if they're investing, anticipating a great deal in return. And not necessarily a monetary return, but a return on joy and peace and fullness and a closeness with our loving God. Last week, Pastor Zardi talked about serving, didn't he? And one of the points was to serve with a willing heart. And that's so closely related to giving with a cheerful heart. Serve with a willing heart. Give with a cheerful heart. But really just the same thing. It's all heart attitude. When we do it with a new redeemed heart that Christ has given us, we're walking with Christ and glorifying him. But when we do it grumpy, like I guess I'm supposed to do this, God, God doesn't take notice of that at, at all. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So this is a gut check. If you're a giver, and thank you first of all for giving, but if you're a giver with a grumpy attitude, it's time for a heart check. It's time to go home this afternoon and pray about that and say, God, I want to be a more cheerful giver. Would you help me in that? Would you show me how to be that person? I love the way Pastor Zardi introduces the offering. He says, let us continue in an act of worship with our offering. That this is an act of worship. We are glorifying God. We are honoring him. We are adoring him in this act. Worship and music is wonderful. I love that stuff. Worship when we hear the preaching of the word. We're worshiping right now. Great. But it's also worshipful to give. That is an act of worship. Cheerful heart. Man, do a cartwheel when you get to give. Set off fireworks. Clap your hands. Do a dance. Ring a bell. We get to worship God in this way. We're invited into that kind of generosity. So give with a cheerful heart, but also, number three, give with a heart of justice, mercy, and faith. And this is right from Scripture. We'll show you in a second. Give with a heart of justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus is talking, and anytime he starts with the word woe, <laughs> pay attention because he's telling people, be aware, you're in trouble here. He says, woe to you teachers of the law, you Pharisees. You're all hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. They're giving 10% spices. Well, they didn't have dollars. That, this was their currency. They're giving a whole 10% of their mint and dill and cumin, but they've neglected the more important matters of the law. They've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. So give, yes, but give with a heart that still chases justice and mercy and faith. It's a both and. Give generously and selflessly, but also chase love and justice and mercy. 
there seems to be a point where we can write checks, and that's great, thank you, or arrange for automatic withdrawal or however those processes work, and that's fantastic, but it's become very sanitized. It's become very septic. Check goes in, or automatic withdrawal, you see the statement later, and we're not getting our hands dirty with the hard work of righteousness. God says do both. Don't just give, but get your hands dirty with the hard work of righteousness. Are we in the city, are we in the city tutoring the kids who are so far behind in their schoolwork now because of distance education, because of COVID? Are we getting our hands dirty in the hard work of righteousness? Are we um, inviting people into our homes who are nothing like us so that we can share God's love with them? Are we getting our hands dirty in the hard work of righteousness? Give generously, but also chase justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's a really cool exchange because it's so extreme from the Old Testament prophetic book of Isaiah. In the 58th chapter, the people are fasting. So they're not giving up money like we're talking about today, but they're giving up food. They're going for a period of time without eating. I think some of us would rather give up money than actually give up food. But they're going without food, and they can't understand why God isn't taking notice. We're doing God's stuff. We're fasting. But he isn't blessing us, and they wonder why. And we pick it up in Isaiah 58.3. God says this, On the day of your fasting, the day you're going without food, you do as you please, you exploit your workers, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. They're doing God's stuff, but they're fighting and quarreling, they're mistreating their workers, and they're punching each other in the face. And they wonder why God isn't taking notice. He goes on, Is it not this kind of fasting that I've chosen, that you would loose the chains of injustice, that you would untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? Interesting. So these people were doing God's stuff, but with the worst attitude ever, fighting and bickering and quarreling and literally punching and not setting the oppressed free and not working in areas of mercy and justice and faithfulness. So here's a, a text that I'll read to you. I, I just added it to the sermon so late we didn't get it on the screen. But this is from Luke 18. Some people were confident in their own righteousness. In other words, they thought they were good on their own. They didn't need to be made clean by Jesus' finished work. I'm a good person. God will like me. And he tells them this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a good religious guy who kept all the rules. And the other was a tax collector. He's a thief. He's a criminal. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer or even like this tax collector. And look what he says. He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. I'm giving away 10% of my income. Notice me, God. Look at what a good guy I am. The tax collector, the thief, stands at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes by saying, this man, the thief, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This story illustrates attitude of the heart, right? The thief was a mess. He could do nothing to please God. He wasn't fasting or giving away his stuff. But in true humility, in a broken heart, he came before God and said, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Whereas the other guy who was doing religious stuff, fasting and giving away a tenth of his income, was saying, take notice of me, God. Look at how wonderful I am. Thank you for not making me like the filth that's around me. Jesus says the thief was the one who was made right because he was the one with a humble spirit. So we can do religious things. We can give away a bunch of our money, 
But if we do it with hearts that are hard to, um, to God and to others, we're not honoring him. So here's my challenge for you this morning. Take a chance on tithing. Will you take a chance? Will you take a chance on tithing? We read from Matthew 23, 23 before where Jesus starts out with the word woe, but we purposely left off the last sentence. We'll add it here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You give away a tenth of your income, your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin. You've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then this part. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus is saying, do both. Give a tenth of your stuff away, but also chase mercy and justice and faithfulness. Will you this morning consider taking a challenge to give a tenth of your income away? That's what a tithe means. It's a biblical standard, Old Testament, New Testament. If you give 9% away or 7, God doesn't like you less. But it's just, it's a standard in the Bible, so we strive for that. 10% of your increase, whether it's the income you earn at work or an inheritance or whatever your increase is, however God gives it to you, you take 10% of that, your first and your best, joyfully, with a heart of mercy and justice and faith, and you give it. Kate and I, my wife and I, before we were married, we're Christians and we're talking about tithing. And we, we, you know, let's, let's try for this. We, we think we ought to do it. So we started tithing because we knew if we got married, we wanted to be a tithing couple. So why not start now as singles? And that way we can tithe as a married couple. And we did. And it worked. And then we got married and we continued to tithe. And here we are, I'm doing the math, about 23 years later, still giving away 10% of our income. And Kate cringes when I stand up front and say this because she thinks, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're in front of the people telling them about how much money we give away. And I know I am, but I'm not doing it for that reason at all. I'm doing it for two other reasons. First of all, that you ought to know that your pastors do what we talk about from the front. We're not just going, hey, you ought to tithe, and in the back, we're not. But much more important, you ought to know that it works. Never once in 23 years have we gone without. We live in a house just like the house you live in. We drive cars just like the cars you drive. The food we eat and the clothes and the vacations we take are just like you. God has not kept anything back from us, even though we're people that give that kind of money away. And a lot of you do that too, and thank you. We've got people who are above and beyond a tithe, thank you. But for those that aren't, would you take a chance on it? And, and here's why I'm calling it taking a chance. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe, bring all 10% into the storehouse. Their currency was wheat and grain. They were farmers, right? So bring 10% in so that there might be food in my house. And God says, test me in this. Take a chance on me. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. Would you take a chance? Would you see if God is telling the truth here in Malachi 3? Because I can tell you that he is, but you won't know it for sure until you do. See if he won't open the floodgates of heaven to the extent that there's so much blessing in your life that you can't contain it. About eight years ago, the tractor, we have a, long, a riding mower, it, it didn't work anymore, needed a new one, and couldn't afford it, $1,700, and we could have easily not tithe for a bit and had it, but we continued to tithe, and I had a pusher, so it took me about two and a half hours to cut the grass for about two years till we could save the 1700 bucks. but it was awesome. Because God eventually provided, you know, the little increments that you save every month while you continue to tithe. And it was, it was good to do that, too. It was guy time, right? When we cut the grass, we make our stripes, think guy thoughts. It was awesome. We, we haven't been without. Would you take a chance on that? Would you see if he's lying or telling the truth in Matthew 10? Pastor Crawford Loritz 
moved his family of six to Atlanta in 1978. Four children and he and his wife, they're a, a, a ministry couple. He was planting a church, and if you know anything about church planter salaries, they're tiny. And they were living in this tiny apartment. They already were a family of six, and they had the sense that the, their family would grow, that more kids were on the way. So they continued to tithe. They give away 10% of that tiny salary that he made. But pray, Lord, please give us a house. We don't know how you're going to do it. We certainly can't afford it on this, but please give us a house. And they continued to give 10% away to tithe and continued to pray, and nothing seemed to be happening. And they continued to tithe faithfully and continued to trust God and pray, please give us a house. And it went on and on in the housing market in Atlanta at that time, very expensive. They couldn't even come close, couldn't even come close to a down payment, let alone affording a house. So Pastor Loritz is honest. He says, I, I, became, to, I, I became discouraged. I, I wasn't sure if this Malachi 3 thing was for real. Then he got the phone call. <laughs> you know, preaching stories go like this. True story. Got the phone call from the guy that says, Pastor Loritz, we don't even really know each other. I, I barely know you. And I know this sounds crazy, but I just did a business transaction and there's a bunch of money. And I'm pretty sure God is telling me to buy you a house. And Pastor Loritz, shocked, amazed, rejoicing, conversation about details. He hangs up and he said, I just sat there and wept. I wept for two reasons. I wept because of God's goodness in my life and his blessing, but I also wept in disappointment that for a while I didn't believe. We continued to tithe, but it just seemed like this Malachi 3.10 scripture was a lie, and I wept for the hardness of my heart in that. I don't know what God's going to do in your life, but Malachi 3.10 promises that when you give your tithe, God will open the floodgates of heaven to the extent that there'll be so much blessing in your life that you won't be able to control it. Finally, number five, when we give to the poor, we're giving to Jesus. When you bless others out of the abundance and even sacrificially, you're giving to Jesus. You'll recognize the scripture, same exact one Pastor Zardi used last week when he talked about um, serving. Matthew 25, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by, father, by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. In your giving to the ministry here, which is used to bless others, sometimes the least among us, you are giving to Jesus. Pastor Zardi talked about it this way last week. When you serve the least of these, you are serving Jesus. It's the same principle here. When you give of the resources that actually belong to God anyway, we've already said, right? You are actually giving to Jesus. He receives your gifts and your blessings. Mother's Day. Moms, thank you for being great. <laughs> the little bit we do today, the gift and the flowers, maybe candy, maybe a meal, maybe we'll do the dishes. The little we can do today can never repay you. We don't have any idea what it took um, to be a mom to kids, right? Um, the sac the selfness, selflessness, the sacrifice, the giving, and giving some more, and you just keep giving. It's what you do being a great mom. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. God's that kind of God, the, the giving and the giving and the giving of more, the fact that you have a breath right now is by his command that you're here in this place, that you've probably got a warm house to go to and a meal to eat today. Thank you, God. Let us be 
that kind of giver, generous, selfless, when no one takes notice except for God in heaven who notices. But we don't do it for that. We do it because we're new, we're different, we've been redeemed, we've been given a new life and a new heart. Occasionally I talk um, to people who aren't believers like you do, and um, sometimes they try to get me on this one. Well, God is a God of love, right? Yes. Well, poverty, I mean, how do you, how do you square that? So much. I mean, there are literally people that are so poor, children that they're, they're naked. They don't even have a shirt. They have no place to live. They have no food. How come God hasn't rescued them from poverty? And this is a Mark Ryan theory. This isn't from Scripture. I've never run the numbers. I've never done the economics on it. But I should, I should say to them, I think he already has. I think there's enough wealth in the world to relieve all poverty. It's just that we haven't released it. I think there's enough, but we just are holding it. And, and when, when you hear the guy at the front of the church say things like that, you go, uh-huh, Warren Buffett, he ought to give more money away. And Bill Gates, he ought to. And those guys are, and maybe they should. But I'm really talking to myself. And I'm really talking to us. I th- there's probably enough wealth in the world to relieve all poverty and bless those who are the least among us. It's just that we haven't, we haven't released it yet. Here's some next steps for you to think about as we wrap up this morning. These are in your worship folder. Give as an act of worship and with a joyful heart. Reverence God. Adore him in your generosity. Dance your offerings forward. Do a cartwheel. Celebrate. Ring a bell. It's an act of worship. Secondly, make sure that you're practicing justice also and mercy and faithfulness, both and. Good hearts. Not a heart that we can make good ourselves, but that has been redeemed and changed by Christ, and from that we are generous. And we rejoice in the fact that we get to give resources to his ministry. And thirdly, will you seriously consider taking a chance on tithing? See if God's telling the truth in Malachi 3 or not. Take a chance on that and see where we get. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that the saints here this morning heard the message. Thank you that we understand that this really isn't about money. This is about our hearts. And when we live um, Christ-like in our generosity, you know that you've got our hearts because we don't miss it. We're happy to give it away. We look for opportunities to give it away. But when we hold it tightly or, or give with a grumpy attitude, you look at us and say, child, child, I love you, but I still don't have your heart. I don't have your trust. Thank you for the generosity of this church, incredibly generous. Let us tithe and give our offerings and our gifts. Let us fill that helping hand box this morning to help that family in need because we know that no joy, no fulfillment, no hope comes from money or possessions or things. You will usher us into eternity and we get to take none of it with us. So let us be Christ-like and loving and generous. Move on the hearts and minds of this congregation, Lord, to be a light in a dark neighborhood, to love each other and to love others if you've called us. We love you, and we think about what that means. We love you, and we pray it all in Jesus' precious, everlasting, never-changing, and generous name. And together we all say, amen.